0: Welcome to the Delve Spirit and Truth Podcast,
1: where we wrestle with questions from the pew.
0: This is Casey. And
1: this is Jenny. Today we're going to delve into spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare was a huge chunk of Jesus's ministry, was it not, Casey?
0: Yeah, I would say a vast majority of what he dealt with was to deliver those who were in captivity. and So that picture is those who are bound up by um, spiritual affliction, demonic affliction.
1: And so I think we can't talk about this without talking about the fact that we're triune. Can you explain that, Casey?
0: Now, not all Christians necessarily believe this, but I would say we do, because I think it's very clear in Scripture that God created us body, soul, and spirit. And uh, we derive that understanding from looking at what happened at the fall of Adam and Eve. And tying that directly to what Jesus taught to Nicodemus, saying, you must be born again. Now, when Adam ate of the fruit, God said, the moment you eat of this, you shall surely die. Now, when he ate it, did he fall down dead? No. No. Something died in him. Now, a lot of people will argue, well, that was the beginning of death. And so death would then happen down the road. Yes, physical death. But there was a severing of intimacy and fellowship with God by that action, by that act of disobedience. And so you take that picture of, okay, he died spiritually to Jesus, teaching at the very beginning of John in chapter 3, that you must be born again, you must be born of the Spirit. And so looking at that picture of, okay, there was a death, and and you tie that directly to Paul preaching in Romans and looking at how there was a necessity of a new Adam, a new Adam to to whereby the first Adam brought everyone into death so that we're all born spiritually dead um, from the consummation of that rebellion. And so now we have this picture to where everyone after Adam's born spiritually dead, he as the patriarch of all humanity. And so now looking at us, that we are born spiritually dead, now we need a new birth of life.
1: So whenever we get saved, then our spirit becomes alive is what you're saying.
0: Yes, as soon as you place your faith in Christ, we are a new creation in Christ, and the Holy Spirit makes us alive and then comes to dwell in us, that being a spiritual life.
1: So before you're saved, you're just, you're not triune, you're just (laughs) biune.
0: Yeah, (laughs) that's a good word. Uh, Yes, we're just a body and a soul, and our personhood is wrapped up in that aspect of the soul. And that we are a new creation, in our personhood really develops and expands to what it was meant to be, when we believe in Christ, and that our spirit is made alive, and at that point we can now have fellowship, intimacy with God.
1: I kind of disagree. I don't feel like that you're like triune and like biune, then triune. I feel like that you have to have something there because there's peop- non-believers are still in a spiritual battle.
0: Yeah, you can. You can have well that's looking at that picture of um when Adam ate of the fruit he died that doesn't mean that he can't communicate with God it doesn't mean he can't interact spiritually but what that means is that there is a severing of spiritual intimacy there's a there's a there's a spiritual death that takes place So the spirit died that doesn't mean the soul can't communicate with God
1: and so i think um you know it's easier for some people to understand the body and the spirit, but the soul, I think is harder to define. And so um, what really helped me is whenever someone explained that the body is like the hardware of the computer, and the soul is like the software. It's like the mind, will, and emotions. It's what goes on to heaven after our physical body dies. And so it's everything that's non-material that makes us who we are the body is the hardware the mind is the you know mind will and emotions the soul is the software it makes you who you are and then there's also this spiritual component which is kind of hard to define it's kind of hard to put into an analogy but i think anyone that's a christian believes that we have a spirit
0: well when when you look at what jesus was speaking in regards to the samaritan woman where she was saying like well our ancestors worshipped on this mountain and well, the Jews worship on that mountain. And Jesus says, yeah, there will come a day when worshipers will worship me in spirit and in truth. And that's true worship. Because before, when we're talking about the fall, when we're talking about the degradation of relationship, it doesn't mean that you can't hear from God. It doesn't mean you can't um, interact in the spiritual realm. But a spiritual death is a severing of intimate fellowship to where God now can't dwell in you. He can't be with you in that fellowship that was instituted at the creation of Adam. There was the severing of innocence, there was the death of the spirit, and so that intimacy is just gone.
1: Jesus' ministry was a lot of deliverance. What exactly is deliverance whenever we talk about that?
0: foundational picture of what deliverance is is you're being delivered from captivity. Like there's something that is afflicting you, there's something that's keeping you in bondage. And so this picture of deliverance is to be freed from that bondage, to break off shackles um, like in slavery or imprisonment. And so there is a a freedom um, at the root of that term of deliverance.
1: So it's something that's holding you back, that's not tangible. You can't like see it, touch it, smell it necessarily with our physical senses.
0: Yeah, it's not something that is necessarily in the physical realm to where you can say, oh, this is my cause. Those, I think, are symptoms. It's it's not pointing to the root cause. And oftentimes, we like to deal with the symptoms of issues like people turn to drugs or people turn to alcohol. These are the common things that we would say, oh, yeah, they're obviously an enslaved to that thing. But that could be any multitude of things. But that's not the core issue. The core issue is there is something deeply ingrained in them that is holding them back. That they are now turning to these things to try and find an alleviating aspect to their life to where they're not feeling the pain, they're not feeling the sorrow, they're not feeling the guilt, the shame, whatever it may be. Um, And so they're turning to these other things, but they're not actually dealing with that root cause, um, which is generally being held in by the demonic
1: when we see people that are turning to these behaviors to numb out or to escape from interner, internal turmoil or pain, that's a symptom of the deeper problem. The deeper problem being what's causing the turmoil, what's causing the pain is is the problem. And their solution, it's actually their solution. Their solution is doing the drugs so they can't feel it, or overeating so that they are numbed out, or whatever it is, Um, going to pornography so that they um, are distracted or feeling whole or whatever it is that they're trying to feel in that moment. Did Jesus want us to also do deliverance?
0: I would say absolutely. And looking at Mark 16, you see this other picture of the Great Commission that A lot of people don't want to talk about.
1: So raised in the conservative denomination that I was raised in, the Great Commission I was taught was the one from Matthew 28 where he says, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them all things that I've commanded you, and I'll be with you always. That was what I was taught the Great Commission was. And then when I learned in Bible college that the different gospels were – the teachings of jesus from different points of view and so the one that i found so interesting was that same point when jesus was talking we also have peter's perspective written in mark the end of mark and what does that say casey
0: so in mark 16 and he said unto them in verse 15 go you into all the world preach the gospel to every creature he that believes and is baptized shall be saved but he that believes not shall be damned and these signs shall follow them that believe In my name shall they cast out devils, they shall speak with new tongues, they shall take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. And we have this picture, in my name shall they cast out devils. And this is a fundamental aspect of what it is to be a disciple. That is going to be part and parcel to what Christians do.
1: Yeah, it doesn't say that the apostles will do these. Things. It says that all who believe, yes. that these signs will follow those that believe. Correct. And so those that believe are us. And so we can cast out demons?
0: Absolutely. But I think we might be putting the cart before the horse a little bit because we need to talk about what demons are to an extent. So we need to know that we are in a battle, we need to know that there are spiritual forces. And so it's very clear in scripture that. There are spiritual forces uh, pit against um, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, he who is spirit, right? We worship God in spirit and truth. He is a spirit. He is the father of lights. Um, And so we have to worship him because he is a spirit, and there are enemies that are spiritual um, that we have been pit against since we are now believers. So before we were Christians, we were POWs. In a way, we were prisoners, enslaved to sin, but also enslaved to the deception of the demonic. Now that we are believers, we've been freed from that POW camp, and now we are enemies to um, Satan and to the demonic horde and all of the other heavenly beings that are posed in opposition to God. And so we need to realize that we are in an invisible battle. We cannot see in the physical and tangible.
1: In 1 Peter 5, 8, it says, Be alert and sober-minded. Your enemy, the devil, prowls like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And so the fact that it says be alert tells me that we can have some sort of awareness of the enemy, of the schemes of the devil.
0: We should be aware that he has a plot. He has devices. He has plans um, to ensnare and to deceive believers.
1: So growing up in the church, I feel like that it was a common understanding that there's a devil, you know, Satan, Lucifer, whatever you want to call him. He has a lot of different names in scripture. And then he had his, quote unquote, fallen angels and that those were demons. And so I just knew that there was Satan and there was like his army, which were demons. But the more that I studied scripture, one of the things that really stood out to me was in Ephesians 6, it says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. This is right between the famous um, put on your spiritual armor passage. It says, but we wrestle against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. If you notice, it doesn't lift off demons, it lists off a whole list of different things that we are warring against. And just in the same way that in the Bible, we have the Lord, we have the, the Holy Spirit, we have God, we have Jesus, but then we also have archangels, we have Nephilim, we have seraphim, we have just regular angels, that there's different kind of, what would you call these, like hierarchies, Casey?
0: So there is a sense of hierarchy that you see spiritually in the heavenly realm.
1: And they have different functions?
0: Yes, absolutely. And so when we label something as an angel, angel simply means messenger. And so this is a heavenly being with a title or a role of giving messages. And we see that Michael being an archangel, being one who is above other angels as a primary role of giving messages in regards to the nation of Israel, because that is that nation's angel. When you see these different scriptures and go, whoa, there's specific roles, specific functions. There is a hierarchy and sense of those who have greater responsibility and those with lower. We also have to understand that when Jesus speaks of the kingdom of heaven is here, a kingdom has a hierarchy. A kingdom has roles and responsibilities of those who are servants to a king and so they have different responsibilities, different jurisdictions, different roles that they play within that heavenly kingdom.
1: I feel like a lot of times we think of opposites, and we think like demons are the opposite of angels, and that Lucifer is the opposite of God.
0: That is a, um, an Eastern philosophy-type mentality to where it's evil versus good, but there is no such thing. That would polarize and make Satan on par with God. That would make him an, an opposing god. And, and that is not true. He is a created being. And the fact is that evil um, cannot um, be self-existent, and that's a whole other conversation. But what, what you see is that there's this picture of, of, of God being superior as the creator, and then he has all of his um, creation being um, subject to him. But then there was a rebellion, and then there was those in that hierarchy that brought that same mentality of hierarchy to a separate kingdom that Satan is now ruler over.
1: So, for us to understand in like human terms, it would almost be like the military and how there's um, there's different ranks and different officers who are over different um, sets of people. So there's like the lowest, which I'm not very, I don't know anything about the military.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, bad analogy. You know, no, it's when you look at there are generals and then you have captains and you have majors and then you have lieutenants. And I know I didn't put any of those in the proper order because in different branches of the military, they're in different orders as well. But there is a hierarchy of authority, role, and responsibility.
1: So basically, we have the same thing in the spiritual world for the fallen side and for the Lord's army. Correct. And one of the things that is pointed out in scriptures is this idea of principalities. In Daniel 10, it's this famous passage where Daniel was praying and fasting and and finally Michael gets to him and he says that the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. And so he was talking about this prince of the kingdom of Persia. This is where we kind of get the understanding of like a principality. And so Persia was an actual geographical location. And a principality would have rule over an actual geographical location.
0: Yes, you would see that same spiritual lines of borders for say cities nations what have you um, that there are heavenly beings or spiritual beings that have role and responsibility directly corresponding to those physical regions
1: and the same thing with israel
0: yes you have michael as the archangel over israel
1: right and so that's scriptural as well and so When you start understanding that there's different principalities, different spirits over different geographical locations and how it follows the, like, natural governing over a region, it just makes sense that, like, let's just say, like, Texas. Texas has its own governance. It's And so – There's certain rulers, there's certain earthly rulers that are over this geographical region. There's certain laws over this geographical region. And so the heavenly would follow the same borders, basically. And so you think about Haiti. The nation of Haiti is famous for having a lot of witchcraft, a lot of voodoo, um, being very spiritually dark, and that people, many people report after coming back having um, felt the oppression, even getting crazy sick um, that didn't make sense from that area and so one of the things that I was taught that made a lot of sense is the more people given over to a certain spirit in any geographical location gives that spirit more power right and so like let's just say if in Cook County everyone in Cook County that's where (laughs) that's where we are is given over to the Lord Jesus and lives their life fully for him, then it would show in our neighborhoods, in our towns, in our county. If everyone was given over, then basically we wouldn't have drug use. We wouldn't have poverty. We wouldn't have all these broken families. It would just be good. It would be how God intends it. But if it's the opposite is true, if everyone's given over to a spirit of perversity or a spirit of you know, alcoholism or whatever it is, then there would just be chaos in this geographical region. And so that ruling party that would be over that would, would have a lot of authority here because everyone's under his thumb.
0: Right. And, and you can see that scriptural uh, perspective in Romans 6, verse 16. It's not just something that we observe in the natural here. Romans 6 says, "'Know you not that to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants you are to whom you obey.'" whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. And so you have these pictures of to whatever you yield yourself to, that you're making that thing, whether that be a physical sin or whether that be a spiritual entity that has rule and dominion over specific sins or regions, that becomes your master. And that becomes the prevalent force in that region. And you can see it play out in the natural to where certain cities certain regions struggle or deal with specific sins. Like take San Francisco, for example. You have homosexuality as a huge root of that city. That city is known by that. And so why is that? Well, people have given themselves over to specific sin, and so now there is a specific rule and perversion of spiritual entity that has authority in that region.
1: And so what is the function of evil spiritual beings?
0: You see that the enemy comes to still kill and destroy, that this entire picture of, of what the enemy in opposition to God is, is to still kill and destroy those beings that were created in the image of God. And so that is uh, what you see play out in demonic affliction that comes against people.
1: Right. And so the Lord is never behind stilling, killing, and destroying because it says in John ten ten that I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. Um, I think too many times the Lord gets credit for what the enemy's doing, and the enemy doesn't get enough credit for what he's doing. Right. The good news is that Jesus has already won this battle. In Colossians two fifteen, it says that Jesus, having disarmed the powers and authorities, made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross.
0: Yes, that was the triumphal victory and the death knell in spiritual authority that was once held by Satan. He has been defeated. He who had the power over death um, has been usurped by the death and resurrection of Jesus, who now holds authority over death.
1: It says in Romans eight thirty-seven that in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. And so we are conquerors. In 1 John 4, 4, it says, you dear children are from God, have overcome them, because the one who is in you is greater than the one who's in the world. And so we know that who's with us is greater than who's with the world.
0: So this entire picture of where we stand um, as believers, that we have been given a commission, a role to be a Christian, a Christian meaning a little Christ. And so we do what our Lord did on earth, And so we are to be imitators of Christ, and the big aspect of his ministry was deliverance. And so how are we to enact that role? It's going back and looking at the reality of what Christ performed on the cross. He brought us victory over Satan, who once had power over death. He had authority over the demonic. He commissioned his disciples and his apostles to have authority over the demonic. And so now, too, because of the resurrection power of Christ— not by any measure or means of power or authority in and of ourselves. It is all because of Christ's authority and what he accomplished on the cross that we now have this role and responsibility to bring deliverance to those who are in captivity. And that deliverance comes through spiritual warfare with the demonic forces.
1: Yeah, I think that it's important to talk about Okay, now that we know, like that we're in a battle, that there's good and that there is the the enemy, that we're seated on the victorious side, that Jesus has conquered. But what does that actually look like in someone's life? And I would say that that what happens is many times in this Western world, we don't have a mindset of spiritual warfare. We have very a clinical mindset, a very um, tangible, black and white, what we can you know touch, feel, see, sense with our senses. And that we don't understand that a lot of the compulsions, a lot of the inner battles, the um, intense emotions that we feel that are driving us, the thoughts that we think that might be painful or dark or hopeless are not from the Lord. And so the Bible actually gives us quite a bit of instruction in this spiritual warfare. And so let's talk about taking thoughts captive.
0: So in 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 6, we see... For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal or fleshly, earthly, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. So you see this aspect of our battle not being against flesh and blood. It is not carnal, it's not earthly, but it's spiritual. And we see, first and foremost, that this battle takes place in the mind to tearing down those thoughts that exalt themselves in disobedience to Christ.
1: Yeah, so it says pulling down strongholds. So what are strongholds, Casey?
0: Well, just think of like a fortification or a castle. That would be a stronghold. So it's a place in which... A thought or belief system that has exalted itself against righteousness has taken up root
1: Right, and so an example would be, um, you know, Second Timothy it talks about how we're not given a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. So we know that there's a spirit of fear, and so you think of people that have a stronghold of a spirit of fear. You think people that are very fearful have a lot of anxiety, are always thinking worst case scenario. It's the opposite of love. In First Corinthians, sky is falling. in First Corinthians 13, that talks about love hopes the best, right? So you have this stronghold, but then it also talks about casting down arguments. Why are arguments Arguments important.
0: Well, when you look at what holds as a foundation to these strongholds is our belief system. And so we have to tear down these lies that we have built up and these arguments for why we should be fearful, for example. Well, this could happen. So I I need to be ready. I need to be prepared. But that's always hoping the worst and not hoping the best. And so that's in opposition to love, right? Perfect love casts out fear. And so we're we're looking at how do we bring arguments to tear down beliefs that have given a a place to land um, for these demonic forces.
1: So we know a lot of times that these arguments are really beliefs, beliefs that w- that have started in us, rooted in us somewhere through our experience. You know, we talked about before with inner healing about the roots of these beliefs and how they're formed and and how to take care of those, but they are literally footholds or grip places for the enemy in our hearts and minds to be able to hold on to us. And so when it talks about bringing every thought captive into obedience to Christ, what does that look like, Casey?
0: There is a necessity that we see in Romans chapter 12 of renewing your mind on truth. And so that, what's that mean? So that's constantly looking to the word of God and what is true and righteous. Think on those things. And so, when we have these thoughts that come into our mind, that we um, see the fruit of those thoughts being bad, being evil, being unrighteous, that's when we compare those thoughts with truth, and we take those thoughts captive by submitting them to truth and recognizing those things to be true. Um, so that when those lies come, we we take them captive and say, "No, the word of God is perfect, true." It it keeps me and directs me in righteousness and holiness, and so I'm going to submit the thought of doubt or the thought of fear, the thought of whatever perversion might pop into your mind to the reality of truth that is found in Scripture.
1: And Jesus did this whenever he was brought into the wilderness for 40 days, you know, that Satan came to tempt him, and he replied to Satan with scripture. And so whenever Satan said, do this, Jesus replied, quoting scripture, which is actually a strategy that when I first started learning about warfare, started doing, I really struggled with anxiety. And so I went to Philippians 4, 6, and I memorized it. And my paraphrased version was, don't worry about anything, pray about everything, and the peace of God will guard your hearts. And so um, I quoted that scripture to myself so many times, anytime I would recognize that there was anxiety in my heart. And now actually I don't struggle with anxiety at all. And I think it was peeling of the onion. It was a lot of different layers that had to come off for that to happen. But that's where I started was with quoting scripture. So we must first know scripture and then we can use it against the enemy. But it's not just scripture. It's also knowing the nature of God, knowing what he's like.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, when you look at, so many believers um, cling to the Word of God as we should, but we treat the Word of God oftentimes as God, and we exalt the Word of God above God in the sense that we just try to rationally pop a scripture like a we're, we're popping medication to get rid of a headache, when in reality it's it's not so much just trying to convince yourself of truth, it's recognizing that these pictures, these words from God are a reflection of his very nature. And so it's it's aligning our mind and aligning our heart with the reality of who God is. He's not this far off being in whom um, we're subject to. He is innate within us. Um, Not that we are gods ourselves, but it is this picture that what we see of Jesus said, I'm going to send you the comforter. He's going to dwell in you. So he's not far. He's not distant. He's here with us. And he's the one who's made us alive, and he's the one who's bringing us and has brought us to freedom by the cross. And so when we're looking at this picture of mind renewal, as you said, it's it's not just the word of God. It's aligning our heart and aligning our mind in a belief system of reality that he is who he says he is. And we can't always get there just simply by logically telling us scripture.
1: Yeah, so it would be like knowing someone through Facebook. And I could quote a lot of their Facebook quotes quotes I could memorize their profile tell you all about the person tell you what the person says but that's very different than me personally knowing the person personally spending time with them personally joking with them interacting one-on-one with them and that's the difference between just knowing the word of God and actually knowing God himself and so it's important to know him because he's the one that has conquered death he's the one that's brought victory and so when I know that my daddy is big and that he's strong and that he loves me and that he protects me I'm gonna go At spiritual warfare, a lot different than just having impersonal knowledge or information. Right. So one of my favorite verses in James four talks about submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, purify your hearts, you double minded. And so there's so many good things in the scripture. First of all, we have this great promise that if we resist the devil, he will flee. Casey, how do we resist the devil?
0: Taking an active role not a passive role, not praying to God, please help me. It is, we're standing in the authority of God and speaking out against the demonic, speaking against those thoughts, and we are being offensive towards them, and we're not being defensive.
1: And that says, draw near to God, and he draws near to you you know, we've talked about this in our past podcast about hearing from God and and abiding with him. And then it says, cleanse your heart, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. And, you know, going back to inner healing, this double-mindedness is really, on one hand, knowing the truth in our left logical brain, but in our right brain, feeling feelings that are telling us that we're not believing that logical truth. If we know that we're safe, we're not going to feel scared. And so it's cleansing our hearts and purifying them so that that we're not double-minded and so that we really are lined up with the truth of God both in logic and in experience. And so what this does is it really takes away all of the footholds, all of the legal right, all the grounds for the enemy to have a foothold into our life. So coming full circle, Jesus said that those who believe will cast out demons. Casey, what does that actually mean?
0: That is where a Christian takes authority in Jesus' name and commands the strong man to be bound, and to be cast out. Whatever is bound on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever is loosed on earth will be loosed in heaven. And you have this parable that Jesus taught in response to those who said that he was casting out demons by the power of Beelzebub. And in Matthew 12, verse 25, Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said unto them, "'Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, "'and every city or house divided against itself shall not stand.'" And if Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How shall then his kingdom stand? If I by Beelzebub cast out devils, by whom do your children cast them out? Therefore they shall be your judges. But if I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God is come unto you. Or else how can one enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods, except he first bind the strong man, and then he will spoil his house? He that is not with me is against me. He that gathers not with me scatters abroad. And so this is where you see that by the Spirit of God, Jesus cast out demons. And he, in full submission to his Father in heaven, yielded to the power of the Holy Spirit in obedience to God, brought deliverance to those who are in captivity. And he's not doing so by demonic power. As he explained, it would be a division of authority and a kingdom can't stand otherwise. And so he by the kingdom of heaven, he by the kingdom of light, is coming against the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of the devil, and casting out and binding. And so we see that it is by the power of the Holy Spirit, not by our own power, that we actively, vocally, out loud come against demonic forces, either in ourselves or in others, and we command them to be cast out. It is by his authority. It's very simple, it's a simple prayer. It has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with who Jesus is and what he has given us in regards to his authority.
1: I recently heard a um, a doctor and she was talking about how a, a patient had manifested a demon and that she was around all these other workers and and she just quietly in their ear whispered and bound the demon and cast them out and the, the patient stopped manifesting and that the other workers were so kind of confused and in awe of what just happened and I think part of it was even the volume. Demons don't respond to volume, they respond to authority. And so it could literally just be a whisper. Many times in our Western society, I think we slap a psychological diagnosis on top of a demon manifestation and biblically... There was a lot of times whenever demons manifested and the person had supernatural strength or acted irrational, who didn't have the characteristics of their normal self, acted insane or even had seizures. And many times in our Western world, we just diagnose and we don't actually um, see it for what it is. And so then it's not treated for what it is. And so the person's still in bondage. They might get Band-Aids to help with their symptoms, but they're not actually healed and delivered
0: so we've said a couple things that are probably a bit ambiguous and so we want to bring a lot more clarity on talking about open doors to the enemy in your life we talked a bit about that but I want to talk more and how you can shut those open doors and this fun question can a christian have a demon
1: i also want to talk about what it feels like what the difference is once there's been a deliverance how you feel on the inside, how things shift, how the difference of your countenance is, how the difference of your life is, and how important it is to know about deliverance because it's so life-changing.
0: Until next time, we bless you to walk in spirit and in truth.